being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. That's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Week 11 edition of the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. Andy, your host right here, joined by Alistair, as always, great friend of the show. He's a prominent beat writer on Bolts from the Blue. Give it up for the one and only Cali Kid, Carl Antonio. Who the H-E double fuck are you? I'm Kyle. My, my favorite, favorite intro song right here, guys. Give me those numbers, Kyle. Never Good gets shit. never gets any less creepy. Who the H-E-W yeah. fuck are you? I'm Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome right. back, man. Good Welcome to have you. Welcome to the show, dude. Uh, thanks hey. for taking the time out to join us. Surprised you're not in your pajamas with the time difference, but how you doing? Oh. Yeah, hate, nailed it. Hate to, hate to prove you wrong, brother, but here the PJs are. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's what's really fun about doing these podcasts with you guys. It's always a... Uh, different different you guys are just getting off work it's 11 o'clock over here but we're getting it done that's how we make it happen that's right that's right and al how are you mate like you said man that with each loss comes uh more beverages for the show so i've got that's two right. sitting it's... here ready to go <laughs> guys enjoy listen with us have a bit of fun have a couple of drinks I'm sure this is, there's going to be a lot of emotions involved today. I just got through watching the coaches film and putting up some hashtag TDU film on the Twitter and it's left me uh, feeling pretty hot and uh, explosive. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, it's, we spoke actually, Al and I spoke a bit of production stuff after last week's show and we thought maybe we'll just tone down the cussing. We'll just, we'll dull down the swearing a bit. Uh, but then the charges dish up what they did against Green Bay. And the beers flow. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably not going to be a week. It's going to be a week for earmuffs for the little ones. That's for sure. Um, we've, well, maybe we can just... go to Phil Rivers and like try with the garlies and the dad garments. And... Yeah, we could. I'm not going to. Uh, we've got one of, if not the <laughs> toughest losses we've had to suffer through this year to comb through, fellas. And look, it's a pretty ominous week ahead facing the Ravens. So let's get right into it. Los Angeles 20, Green Bay Packers 23. We don't really need to relive too much of this one. As I said, arguably harder to watch than the week prior. It was Justin Herbert. It was number 10, putting 52 blokes on his back and doing his absolute best to drag this sorry bunch over the line. Defense doing its best to set a horrid record for allowing third and longs. Uh, could someone remove the bricks from our receiver's hands and maybe get that memo to Eckler to uh, screw in the long studs and try and avoid slipping over? Back to that drop catch, just to cap off what was an absolute dog shit day for the Powder Blues. Doesn't look good whichever way you view it. Four and six. All hope is not completely lost. Uh, we'll see. Just a casual run of seven straight AFC games lie ahead, all important for potential tiebreakers. And as I said, we welcome the Baltimore Ravens to SoFi in week 12. Al, my boy, over to you. Your first of many big takeaways on this one. 
We need to channel departed Jack and go no numbers, no stats. We need to ask an essay question to the class. And that is, how does the least accurate quarterback in the NFL become one of the most for one week? The answer is just play the Chargers. Just play a Brandon Staley-led defense. Just play a defense that wants to play its corners six yards off the line of scrimmage at a minimum at all times, unless you're running cover six and you'll have one press corner on one side once every eight to ten snaps, if you're lucky. So... You can complete the ball wherever you like with impunity short. You can run any kind of screens, end arounds. They'll all work. And then the one thing that the Fangio-style defense ties its flag to the mast for, the whole idea of it is it's meta. It goes, the way to win in the NFL is put a roof over the coverage. We will allow as many completions as you want. At some point, you're going to fumble the ball or throw an interception, or we're going to blitz you and sack you. But it doesn't matter because we ain't giving up explosive plays. Well, guess what? We give up all of the explosive plays, all of them in the world. So including penalties, the Chargers have allowed, this is per Daniel Popper, a 27.5% conversion rate on third and 11 plus since Staley took over. That's worst in the NFL in case you uh, thought it might since not he be. Took over. And it was the sixth time the Chargers have allowed a third and 15 completion this season. Sixth time. No other team has allowed more than three. So if there's any recipe for a you know an in-season firing or end-of-season firing, it would be the defensive scheme that plays a boring ass roof over the coverage, slow them down, you know, we're going to be conservative style, but then also allowed touchdowns at a kind of record rate or long completions with a record rate. It just doesn't work. So... I thought initially, after watching this game with you, Andy, that this was one to hang on the offense because, as you alluded to earlier, there was no shortage of mistakes on that side of the ball. But watching it again and then again, that was an awful defensive performance. The Green Bay offense is not very good. They're young, they're inexperienced, and the defense put in one of their worst performances of the year. So that's where I'm going to start and probably where I'm going to finish as well (laughs) later on. (laughs) Kyle. What are you thinking, my man? Uh, I wasn't as livid as I think a lot of our fan base was because I've already gone through that stage of grieving. This this season already, it's, it's felt over for me uh, since after, I'd, I'd say, week six. When we lost to the Chiefs and we lost by a larger point differential to them than we ever have in Brandon Staley's tenure. That to me was a major sign of regression. And this game is very similar to you, Al. I, you know, first time watching it, I wasn't excusing the defense. I was still looking at it like, what the hell's going on? I, I felt like the offense left a lot on the table, but so did Green Bay. Green Bay let us off the hook multiple times. Was that one missed field goal, one missed uh, extra point, I believe? I mean, it's they didn't play a very sound game either. And there were things that we'll talk about throughout the show that might be marginal improvements. But, hey, you guys know my, my bread and butter is flipping houses. I'm a, I'm a real estate agent. Um, I've seen a lot of roofs. You can you can say there's a roof over this house, but if there's a bunch of holes in it and water's pouring through, it's not doing anybody any good. And that's what Staley's philosophy looks like right now. It's like, yeah, you might have a roof over it, but I've counted plenty of holes and it's ugly. 
Real now, Jack, real that life. is an analogy that you can be proud of. That That's it. That's a teachable moment. <laughs> We've found uh, our third musketeer, Andy. We're locked yeah. in now. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't leave us, Carl. Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was just, you're exactly right. There was so much left on the field. Um, Al and I, we love the, the QB school and just watching the break, film breakdown of Jordan Love's game. We allowed him to look so much better than he, than he is. Um, just completing at will. It was a little late on a touchdown throw, uh, shallow of the end zone. Could have been 14 points, you know, stuff like that. And is this the one where the receiver got one foot in bounds and then the other one yeah, didn't quite yeah, land? Yeah, he uh, he hitched before he threw. Should have set himself up a little bit better. Thanks, JT. Um, there were – I don't know what else, apart from, you know, the, the, the drop catches. Like, what more can the, uh, the offense do? Regularly driving the ball from their own field, there was no real, no real sign of, like, a, a, causing a stop forcing a turnover from the defense. It was, it was really just chasing tail kind of day from all of them. The tackling was shocking. 12 missed tackles on the day. And Michael Davis is made of rubber apparently uh, because the way that was it Wicks bounced off him. I just almost kicked out in the face, just a Gumby. kick in the head. I absolutely had it. So his confidence yeah. is down, man. His confidence is well down. That that's what almost his worst game as a charger, Michael Davis. He he was um it was intent, it was execution, whether it be tackling or in coverage, like the the major touchdown pass that went over his head where he just ab- abnegated his, you know, quadrant of responsibility. Mm-hmm. He 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 doesn't understand the coverage rules. And that that's an indictment on the coaching staff. It's an, an indictment on him and kind of maybe some of that ties back to some confidence issues earlier in the year because JC Jackson got the start. But I don't know. I mean, Staley in his Monday kind of um, private meeting with journalists indicated that there would be competition in the secondary, which I took to mean... Michael Davis might be in hot water because I don't think it'll be Asante. I know the third and 20 was reprehensible with the PI, but I thought Asante played pretty well outside of that really bad moment. Michael Davis struggled from go to woe. And Andy, as you said last week, Dean Leonard actually acquitted himself quite well in the one start he got from Detroit. So I'm expecting a bit of timeshare um, in the next game against the Ravens between those two. Don't forget D or don't forget Michael Davis after that missed tackle, the, the egregious one that we're all going to remember mm. where he yep. got bounced off of like a pinball bumper. Pinball machine, yeah. The way he like threw his arm out afterwards, it was like, hey, like, what are you, you're supposed to go down or like somebody get him. They're like, my man, my brother, he just bounced off your chest and you had him dead to rights. And that was as egregious of a bat, of a terrible play as it could be. Like it's, it's a different man we're seeing out there and it's weird. I'm going to bring this up a little later, but it's, it is strange how initially I, I remembered uh, Michael Davis being good, good year, bad year, good year. This is our bad year. Um, This is, this blows the other years out of the water. (laughs) This is egregiously terrible. I think the worst he's ever played. Yeah. I don't remember him having to be in the sort of CB one mold 
on his, let's say, his previous bad year. Because um, when he stepped in as CB1 last year, he was he was great. You're right. But there are things that are going on with this defense that, especially in the secondary, that is, uh, it's they're becoming very bad habits. So Asante Samuel is now a repeat offender on those grabby type of physical before the balls reach the point kind of penalties. They're, they're stupid and they're lazy. Um, and Michael Davis's tackling has just been unbelievable. Like he has the wide receiver's hands and arms and it's just like clunk. The guys just bounce off him and, and run, run away. Did it on a, a run play last week or the week before. And yeah, it's just it's getting shocking. So I'd really at, like, at, to like see... at, at the risk of this being like the full anti-Michael Davis podcast, he failed in both respects. Like his missed tackles happened throughout the game. It started in the first quarter on about the game's third play with an AJ Dillon attempted tackle that he but blew through Maybe for about seven extra yards. I know he's a big guy with absolute thunder thighs. He like makes Jack look like a ballerina, AJ Dillon. But there was the the inability to tackle. And then there was also the like the inability to read. So so the Packers ran like every offense. They've realized the Chargers can't defend perimeter runs. They attempted three end arounds or jet sweeps for 48 yards, including a touchdown. And that, that touchdown to Jaden Reed, Michael Davis is chasing tail down the field with his back to the football um, the whole way. Jaden Reed's run about 30 yards into the end zone. I think Michael Davis turns around right at the end and at no stage did he have the awareness to, to realise the play call. So he's he's a headless chook, as we like to see, say in Australia, Carl. He's running around like a headless chook. So is that a defense? Is that like a the defence as a whole not communicating as well, though? Because I know they're supposed to all be shouting, like, run, run, giving some calls and whatnot. Are we as a team just kind of quiet? I know that sometimes happens on my beer league hockey team. And I mm. know that's a terrible, like, terrible comparison to make because we're all useless. But, but you know, sometimes when your morale's down, you can get a little quiet, not communicate with each other as well, not be as chatty. Um, I got to wonder if maybe some of that could be going on because there's, like you said, there's no excuse for Davis to be 30 yards downfield, not turning around to uh, pick up a, fill a run gap, you know. But um, to build on what you were saying andy about asante samuel that's another thing that i gotta wonder is it partially because and, and i that came in man coverage right when he when he was got a little grabby yeah i think so yeah so it it might not be completely fair to say but with the with how much we often do run zone and have some sort of match co cover or match pattern um coverage scheme I have to wonder if a little bit of grabbiness is coming from a little bit of lack of trust in the other areas of the field and what's going on with the defense as a whole. Um, and if that's why we're seeing an uptick in ASJ making those kind of mistakes, but I, it's tough, tough to say. What do you think, Andy? Uh, I think it's a fair point. I think you're probably batting on Asante Samuel's side a little bit too much. I just feel like there's <clears throat> all the guys, there was a, a pickup, in the middle of the field, Josiah Taylor was on the slot and he's starts, you know, 10 yards off, obviously different to a man coverage principle, but there's just the recognition of what the quarterback's doing. And it is so, it seems to me like the secondary is defending so 
reactively rather than proactively. There's no real, doesn't seem like we're really reading the quarterback. We're just kind of, we're so far off. We're so soft. Um, there was a third and one and the two safeties are like 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. Like honest to God, guys, is it, is back to your point, Kyle, is there that little trust in your teammates? Cause to me, I completely agree with you with the communication thing. I think it's absolutely essential for 11 guys to operate in unison throughout the 15 seconds that a play goes for. If you're not communicating and you're not aware of, let's say you're trailing your your receiver and it's a run play, you've got to recognize that and get off your receiver and go and assist in the run tackling. It just doesn't feel like to me, it doesn't look like to me that that's things that the Chargers defensive unit are willing and able at the moment to do. Um, I don't, well, for yeah. me, there is one player in the secondary who understands the rules of the defense and that's Aloe Gilman. And it shows up time and again on the coach's film. On the fourth and one, on the game's first drive, mm. he's calling out, he's yelling out, this is the play, this is the play, pushing the defense to the right of screen. He takes Musgrave in the flat, forces the incompletion, turnover on downs. And he had that quick read and react on two other occasions throughout the game. He is fit really nicely for this Brandon Staley-style defense. Derwin James, I'm not so sure, but interestingly... His role is about to change because against the Packers, he spent almost all of his time in the slot, at least the most of any other game he's played um, this season. Jaseer Taylor only played the 25 snaps, so he was the third fewest of any defensive player to log a snap. Um, Derwin played 31 in the slot. It seems like Staley has decided, look, I'm not going to make changes to my scheme. We'll come back to that. But I will make changes to personnel. Maybe we'll shift out Jasir and Derwin can play closer to the ball. He had some good moments lined up on, on Musgrave and tight ends because he is good at that. And today he gave a press conference and sounded quite excited about playing the star position. It means he's just generally around the football. Um, you're the you're the X's and O's maestro, Kyle. Do you like Derwin as the star full-time? Do you think that he's using his skill set well? Full disclosure, I do not consider myself an X's and O's guy. I consider <laughs> yeah, myself a, a an obsess over contracts, salary cap, all that stuff. I consider myself. Well, we a don't hobbyist. have Eric on the show. We don't EV. We don't have EV thirty seven or two or Tui or one of the other guys from Bolts from the Blue yeah. who played the game. So of the three of us, you're very much the <laughs> X's and O's guru. It's a deep I just, moment. I there we go. There we go. I I really enjoy diving into. Brandon Staley's defense early and reading up on all those articles and studying and watching the film and trying to learn what all those coverage assignments are. And no matter how many times you watch it, it is still, even from somebody that, you know, has the benefit of pause, rewind, replay, very difficult to see exactly what the rules are all the time, because a lot of them are predicated upon what the offense does. And if they do certain things, you don't get to see the match pattern play out all those sort of things. But I think what you're referencing, Al, in saying that is that I wrote that one article for Bolts from the Blue before I was on staff as a fan post uh, going over what the run defense, where, where the hole in the run defense was. Specifically, that it wasn't just Kenneth Murray's fault that the run defense sucked. Uh, you know, we could get back to that another time. You know, he definitely hasn't been, um, you know, beneficial to the defense uh, in his run coverage most of the time. But the biggest gap in Staley's scheme, the biggest besides this 
newfound appreciation for seven yard uh, cushions is a slot is the fact that he likes taking a defensive lineman or a linebacker off the field and filling that extra um, filling in an extra DB against conventional norms and against a, you know, two wide receiver set playing with five defensive backs instead of four. And that sounds like a really cool strategy. If that fifth DB can fill in as a run defender effectively close to the line of scrimmage, because when you're, if you're pulling a lineman or a linebacker off the interior of our defense is just weak and light. That's why I like to call it the light front instead of Brandon Staley's tight front where he has three down linemen. Um, Derwin James has always been in my mind, the easiest way to upgrade this defense by plugging him in is that star position in the slot. If we didn't go out and aggressively pursue one, when we first drafted JT woods, uh, I was, um, you know, doing a podcast with Gak, going live with Alex. And that's immediately what I thought of when we drafted JT. I thought, okay, if this now, if we move, cause we didn't know what we had with Alohi yet, if this enables us to deploy Nasir Adderley, JT Woods in the defensive backfield and bring Derwin to the slot, this actually could be a game-breaking move for this defense because now Derwin's able to do what he does best. He's never been a exceptional deep safety kind of guy. So I think it's really, I, I agree that there were struggles with how he covered this week for sure. I think it's unfair to put him in a whole new position and situation this late in the season. He should have been practicing there uh, all training camp. I think his football IQ catches up and he does start doing better. And I, I would point to this move as probably a move that gets us an extra win some point in the season. Some point in the season, Derwin's going to have a statement game because he's playing where he should be playing. Uh, but I think I do think it's too little too late. Better late than never, though, as they say. Um, we Anything else on the defense, guys? I just thought it would be worth mentioning briefly that it's a shame that everything has fallen to the wayside in pass coverage where the front seven are collectively doing a much better job at getting hats to the ball, stopping the run. I think Nick Williams is like the perfect zero technique, kind of plug up that A-gap for the tight front that you mentioned, Kyle. Good on Nick Williams. He liked our, our post on Twitter for the second time when we do something positive about him. So we'll keep shouting out the big guy. Um, but in terms of stopping the run, they had 28 attempts for 96 yards, 3.4 per carry. If you just isolated running backs only, 21 attempts for 55. So really apart from that Detroit game last week where their unique combination of scheme and great linemen and tight ends and running backs was just too much for the Chargers defense, I think they can really claim to be around about a top 10 run defense and front seven. Um, but what do you think, like I'll throw it to you, Andy, what what do you, do you think part of that is explained by how bad the back end is? Do you think it almost helps the front that the back end is so weak because strategically, I know it's, it's somehow to do with the way teams are approaching their offense against us, knowing they can take the deep shots. So their rushing attempts are less successful. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. It's also the, the we go back to the tackling as well, that obviously like buff stats when yards after contact is exorbitant because we're just missing stuff on the inside. 
Um, it's look just sort of operating with the the defensive line. Um, I think yes, we are so vulnerable in the passing game that uh, teams are inclined to run it less um, and rely on it less. It just so happened that Ben Johnson came out and said, we're not even going to worry about passing the ball and exploiting you through the air. We're going to give this a go first. And that O-line was just said, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. We're ready. Uh, our O-line was not. Um, but as far as the defensive line as a whole in run and pass coverage go, I just want to move on to that because I'm looking at the percentage of dropbacks that Jordan Love was blitzed on. Um, and unless my eyes aren't working, PFF saying, close to 60%, if not just above. Um, we generated eight total pressures and two sacks out of that. So what we're doing just to sort of take away from the coverage is sending more guys, not succeeding, and then leaving ourselves short-staffed on the back end. Um, and it just, it, I think that sort of really worked to a lot of the communication breakdowns, the coverage packages, just not sort of working for what um, Lafleur was able to sort of cook up. Um, but their offensive line played really well, you know, for that, a number of sacks, that, sorry, the number of snaps that we blitzed on, um, Jordan Love only found himself under pressure 30% of the time. So he did really well. Uh, we'll get into the offense and talk about how Herbert did with perceived pressure and uh, evading it. Jordan Love did, you know, didn't have to do it as much, but he did a pretty good job and was able to execute under the poor coverage. And it's just another game where Dayon Henley's sitting there on the sideline and you're giving 100% of the snaps to both of the Man. linebackers. There's a real resistance to change from the entire defensive coaching staff or the front office or whoever makes the decisions, whatever, whoever is responsible. I don't understand at this stage, you're four and six, like the season's on the line. You have clearly a rookie linebacker who is more athletic than the other two and should excel in pass coverage. Don't understand why you don't get him on the ground on, on third downs. Mm. Yeah. Because for the second week in a row, Kendricks and Murray have been targeted in the pass Ta game. Targeted, but I still think Kendricks played well. I've got to say, having just come back from watching it, there were there are certain tackles he made that if he doesn't make that tackle, it's a touchdown. He he made at least three of these. Some of them were way down the field. And and look, when you're covering such a large zone as a linebacker and and the quarterback's just dumping it off to someone who really you're not even covering, it might be a running back, it might be a tight end in a flat. You're chasing tail as a linebacker. I actually think Kendricks is playing really well. Kenny Murray. Not so much. His October was excellent. His November, unfortunately, it seems like he's kind of back to the Kenny Murray we've seen with inconsistent play over the last three years. Are you seeing the same thing, Kyle? I was going to ask, can I give you a gripe about him, Al? Can yeah. Can I give you a little, can... little pushback? Sh shoot. Uh, there's one thing that I just, I, I've brought up elsewhere. I'll bring it, like I brought it up on our forum when we, when we vent on there and it's driving me nuts. Uh, it's something that Khalil Mack does very, very well. If he sees somebody that, let's say he's rushing the passer and a running back releases, he will do something. He'll, he'll kind of forego his pass rush responsibility just for a moment to make some contact on that running back and slow him down, bump him off his route just a little bit. Just do something to help the guy behind him. And a couple times throughout the game, I noticed... Kendricks 
again, kind of moving his body around a receiver that was getting, that was running by him to get to his assignment. And that guy then making that he let run free, getting a, getting a pass thrown to him, getting a reception, getting downfield. Um, at some point, these guys got to play with a little F you in them. Uh, I, I want to see if, if the thing that pisses me off about Brandon Staley constantly having our defensive backs seven, eight, nine, ten yards off the line of scrimmage is you've completely taken away their ability to disrupt routes. And it's the whole point of Brandon Staley's defense when I was first studying it was trying to redirect receivers to slow down their routes a little bit to buy time for your pass rush to get there. Kind of stepping in front of a route and then dropping back to a zone in that match pattern. Right now, there's none of that. There's this, we're going to keep, we're going to start way back, way behind that five yard cushion where we're allowed to be pushing and pressing and getting a little feisty in, in, inside of, and we're just going to let them run freely. Drew Tranquil was great at that last year. He would play with his heels on the five yard line, sorry, five yards off the line of scrimmage. So he knew if anyone was at or in front of him, he could whack them and he would, he would slow down guys that were doing the short drag routes. And I just don't see Kendricks doing that. I don't see Kenny doing that. I don't see any of our defensive backs doing that. Unless like you said, Alex, that one rare play where we're doing a cover six and we have one guy in press and Mike, Mikey Davis didn't do very good um, doing that this week either. So that's, that's my frustration. It's again, getting back to that team defense uh, of really disrupting routes, buying our pass rush rush time. Brandon Staley, how can you keep saying that the reason our pass rush isn't getting there? because the the ball's getting out we'll do something to disrupt it then do something yep. have your defensive backs come up help us in some way uh andy i what are your thoughts on the linebacking situation or or just the lack of disruption of routes where, where would you take all that i i agree with that completely i'd like to see at least in third down situations have a more athletic sort of free-flowing younger linebacker in there like Dion Henley. Uh, as far as like not sort of cheating. He's feisty on... too, Henley. I reckon yeah. he would do some of what Kyle just said. Bump That's the guy. Man. If a tight end, if a sniffer tight ends coming across the formation, fucking grab his testicles, grab him and punch him in the stomach. And then, then go, then go grab your assignment, weird? you know? Yeah. That's right. Like, and, and Kendrick should be doing that as a veteran. Kyle's hundred percent right. Sorry, Andy. Yeah, no, no, that, no, that's fine. Um, it's just the sort of it's the the awareness it's like guys are out there just with blinkers on going this is my assignment this is what i do it's it sort of harps back to what i was saying before about you know perceived lack of communication guys don't seem like they want to do more than all that they're asked to do uh so whether it's the linebackers i just don't think any positional group is doing enough to do its job or try to do its job and when it's not needed to know cover a receiver help the other guys i just don't feel like there's a community to this defensive group and guys are so confused um yeah i don't know if it's i don't i i feel like that's like when you were talking all i could think of was soft coverage soft football like that's the sort of mentality that we have no 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 don't tackle in preseason that kind of shit and there's just no 
we'll say ginger in them, which is like, you know, just get a bit feisty, play a contact sport. I was going to say another word, but no, ginger it's frowned upon um, here and terrified of in the States. So in the criminal, of- like the, the criminal part of that, the criminal part of that is where is the consistency when you, you come in as a young coach who's energetic and is going for it on fourth down, right? I'm going to be at the front, like at the vanguard of being aggressive on fourth down. Yet my defense plays soft cushions and, you know, stick picket defense and we don't want to play press and we don't want to play man. That is incongruent. And that is, it's almost schizophrenic. Like I'd, I'd almost rather Staley especially at this point when things have clearly fallen fallen off, like the wheels have fallen off. Go fool Brian Flores and say, do you know what? We don't have the talent at the back. They don't understand the coverage rules. So we're going to blitz and we're going to play man. We're going to play man free. We're going to play cover one and we're just going to risk it because we've got a great quarterback and I'm not going to be stubborn about my rules on the back end and trying to disguise coverage and pre and post snap safety rotation. It ain't working, buster. Let's play. Let's blitz the quarterback and play man. All right. Sorry, I had to get it off uh, off my chest. Just, just before, are yeah. we done on defense now, guys? Well, I've got a question for you both. Uh, that before we flip to the offense, let's still ad- let's address let's address Brandon Staley's po- press conference because I feel like that'll come up at some stage, and mm-hmm. it was it was not his finest hour. I think <laughs> he would acknowledge that, although we haven't heard him acknowledge that, which I think's unimpressive he's had a couple of chances to talk about it um Kyle what Kyle what what did you make of of Staley's remarks in the post game like a lot of people have different views on it are you a bit sympathetic for you know you're in the heat of the moment and he's under a lot of pressure or or do you think you're the figurehead you've had time to compose yourself you've got to be better than those statements you made I just don't care at this point and I don't I'm just kind of apathetic to trying to defend him I, I i i thought it was wild i've watched it a few times but i'm sitting there and watching this just again i i've been a staley supporter i really like this that's why i studied the scheme so much and i really enjoyed it and i was like okay there's there's things that we can work on and improve here but i kind of get the philosophy but right now your scheme doesn't have a single redeeming quality you say that we're keeping a roof on everything and keeping a lid on the offense. And yet we are allowing the most explosives per game right now where we are absolutely there's like, I know you, you said that um, you, you know, you might, we might be a top 10 run D the only time I'll consider us a top 10 run D is if we beat a team that has a top rushing offense. Um, we've been beaten by teams that have good running games that have, um, Joe, that like the Titans that elected to just throw on us and it worked. We haven't had a statement win where we've shut down a run and beaten a team with a very proficient running attack. So I just watch Chicago, that, maybe with Tyson didn't have performing. I mean, yeah. you, yeah. you, well, that shows that you're really, you're really scraping. Yep. Yeah. But, but they, so to directly answer the question about the press conference, I'm just frustrated that the the fan thing, it is what it is. I'd like to see him, you know, acknowledge it at some point that he's frustrated. I see that some people are saying that because he says I take responsibility for what's happening on the, with this team and our losses, 
that they think that that is him taking responsibility, but then he just deflects the rest of the way. And there's ways that you can go about actually taking responsibility, like acknowledging. I understand why you're asking if I'm going to continue calling plays because right now the team's underperforming. The team's not playing to our potential, but I recognize that I am probably coaching for my job right here because this team should be playing much, much better. And that is a very poor reflection on me because I know these men can win games and are a championship quality team. And right now the disconnect seems to be coming from somewhere. And as a coach, that's me, that's on me. Um, so we're going to analyze this. We're going to look into it. And if we need to make changes, we're going to make changes. Something along those lines, this whole defiance in the face of the media while saying, you know, your play calling work is going to work. You have confidence in it. You have confidence in the schemes. None of it adds up. None of it points to accountability to me. And it really just pisses me off and gets me excited about seeing him walk out the door, to be honest with you. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I've been for a long time a big supporter of Staley's. I really like and respect the person that he is and the way that, you know, at the outset he comports himself. I'm not big on the rah-rah guys. As it goes, it works in Detroit. So just the way that you've seen on on the back end of tough losses, he's slowly kind of started to eke some of these snarky habits he's been curt this was absolute derailment he's like a, a sand cliff and the longshore drift is just eroding his personality and his temperament away to the point where he is now vehemently defending this defense that we've just spent half an hour running shit through uh and then calling out like fumbling the football in the red zone he's essentially calling out austin eckler there and now he's like pointing the finger at other things. He's that defensive. It's like, it's so in his head that it's not even funny. Like it's, it's kind of scary. You kind of like, I don't want you near my football team anymore. Like if you're going to behave like that, I didn't take anything negative. A lot of people are like, he said, I don't care about the fans. I didn't really take it that hey, way. Hey, Tony, he like, said he doesn't like the fan base. Hey, doesn't, if you don't respect the fans, get him out of here. Not sure why there are Chargers fans in Brooklyn, in but anyway. Jersey, yeah. But like, come on, you don't need to be a professor of linguistics. You don't need to be Noam Chomsky to realize he didn't mean to take a shot at the fans. He was just, he's in the moment saying, you know, I have a responsibility to my team. He's praised the fans many times before. So like, if you're a fan yeah. and that upset you, I think just acknowledge the guy's going through hell. He's going through absolute hell. He's so depressed and he had a bad slip, but he's paid He's paid not to have those slips uh, on the field or off the field. So I don't have too much sympathy for him. Uh, and to finish, I think there's clear, obviously clear issues with the way that he teaches and the way that his students, let's say, learn and take on that information and then execute that. And he does take full responsibility for that. But there's one thing of like having a defensive mantra and it having success whether that be short-lived short sample space kind of thing uh he's clearly to me not capable of looking after numerous aspects to a football team when his is his like his bunny is dead out in the cold and crap so 
it's a real concern. I feel like at the moment you could look at him as just a defensive coordinator and from what he's put up in 11 weeks, a bad one at that. Uh, it doesn't seem to me to be able Two to sustain the, yeah, the requirements of being a head coach and a leader of 53 men. He struggles to lead 11 to 15 um, and it's not good enough. And as you said, Al, you bang on. He gets paid to just like bite his tongue and not blow up like that. Man, of course you're going to get asked, are you going to make changes with the defensive scheme? Your defense sucks. Like, <laughs> we're paid here to ask questions. Don't tell us what not to ask. I hope Popper goes back next week and goes, so, Brandon, you're going to make some changes? And then just real Nickelodeon-style <laughs> head eruption. And Andy, we're wanna... paid to talk about it and, like, you know, yeah, analyze we're paid it. So, we're paid so much to talk about it, aren't we, boys? Yeah. <laughs> On that note, please <laughs> like and subscribe, and then maybe we can get some <laughs> advertising revenue around here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Al, we'll, what, we'll, sell, we'll, have... we'll sell drugs one and medication that... for erectile dysfunction. Oh, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing to add on that is this is something that, you, that we've talked about before. We've noticed in the past when things get go south with this team, it hasn't been a blow up like this, but he has gotten really snippy and really flustered in press conferences when we lose in the past in a way that many of us have chatted about and acknowledged like i'm a little concerned about how he is under pressure when yeah. he is on the sideline when there is adversity because there there's this tendency for him to start melting down and contradicting himself in those press conferences and it's just something it's something that we kind of took a note of like hey let's watch out for this and it feels like it's coming to a head again so yeah it depends if yeah, it's innate um, or if it's something that's you know you work through as you get more and more experience this is the first time he's coached a team that started losing and losing consistently for a prideful person that would cause a lot of pain um but he's not going to get the chance to go through these growing pains unless the team pulls out six wins in a row or something of that nature which is looking increasingly unlikely andy we keep on asking each other questions when as the host you just want to push us onwards towards the offense so why don't we, we still flip. got half the team to talk about i do want to say before we move on to the offense that khalil mack was awesome uh, and he keeps flying the flag obviously we lost joey bosa early in the game but khalil dominant so bravo sir uh all right on to the offense herbert went 21 to 36 260 yards 7.2 yards per attempt two touchdowns no interceptions average depth of target 10.1 not bad not bad uh what do we think about Hey, let's start with Herbert's game. Uh, Al, what, do you, what did you make of it? The thing that stood out the most to me was it was the second highest total rush yards he's had in any game, NFL or college, 73 yards. And it's his best since the Arizona game last year. The only game he's had more than that was a game against the Steelers back in 2021 on Sunday night football. And I thought what that was, was a realization of his that without Josh Palmer or Mike Williams, um, he needed to do something without Everett as well. He needed to take the matters matter into his own hands. If Quentin Johnston or God help us, Alex Erickson, were not getting open. He decided I, I'm going to, I'm going to trust myself here um, against one linebacker to get around them. I actually thought it was, if not his best game of the whole season, awfully close. He really, he made almost no errors. He made his big time throws. 
He made throws that were dropped. Of course, the Chargers had six drops in this one. By my reckoning, that's 15 points off the board. If you if you consider that Keenan dropped one at the two-yard line, he dropped one that would have been into the end zone. Quentin Johnston dropped one that he may have run to the house or at least got within field goal range. Otten Eckler fumbles one at the two-yard line. The amount of points his offense let off the board, that's why Staley's depressed. He might be thinking, we went a conservative style of defense knowing, you know, we keep him to 20 and our offense is going to win this game. And the offense could not have done more to leave points on the board in this game. So I, I, I get the frustration. But to answer you, Andy, I thought um, Herbert was fairly majestic in this mm. one. And it's something I'd like to see more of for the rest of the year. It's It seemed like they, they weren't designed runs, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of like quarterback power, a bit of the Lamar Jackson design quarterback run stuff. I feel like it's not in the playbook. Maybe as his finger improves, they'll do more of that. But but his feel for when to go was excellent because he, he'd go through his progressions first, no one's open, take off, which is exactly, um, exactly what you want to see, I thought. Yeah, pretty, pretty spectacular. Talking about his rush yards, I deliberately left that stat out because I knew you were going to slam dunk that one. But what did Kyle, what did you think of the rest of the run game? Looking at Eckler and Kelly. The rest Uh, of the run game. Alistair got the fun assignment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's brutal. It's, it's, I mean, Eckler looks like he's, I think Al wrote this, running through mud or quicksand. He just, he looks like he's, he, I don't know if it's, his injury uh, that he had earlier, which would be weird because he did come back, I think right around the Cowboys game and look like he had his speed back. Um, so I don't really know what it is. Ryan Watkins with bolts from the blue um, newer guy on staff. That's been kicking butt and doing a great job pointed out a really cool. No, I shouldn't say cool. He made an observation that I hadn't heard yet. And I was like, man, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, I'd like to hear more about that. Like, let's, let's look into that. If you need me to free up any, like take over any articles for you so you could do a piece on this, let me know. Um, but he basically pointed out that he's noticing that the offensive linemen haven't really been um, helping Eckler up when he's on the ground. Um, they don't seem to be really fighting for him, uh, trying to get that extra that extra push at the line. And when he's down next to him, they don't, they don't reach down and lift him back up. And he, he said that that was his initial take. Then he went back and looked at it and saw they weren't doing that at all, period. So there's does seem to be a lack of grit and drive on the offensive lines side of things in his mind. He mentioned that he thinks we just don't have that guy. That's kind of that wild card tone setter uh, that, you know, kind of everybody else feels like they have to apologize for, but he also, they also know like, Hey, I can, I can go mess somebody up. Cause I know I got this guy covering my back. Um, it just seems We're like missing the heart of our offensive line, Kyle, which is almost symbolic. He's not on the field. And where is that? Where is that? Um, that, that no. offensive lineman dickhead, you'd say. It's the dickhead. It's the guy who, who wees in his pants because he doesn't want to come off the field and he picks up and punches the defender and picks up his quarterback and it doesn't look like we have one. We've got two very young players, Zion and Solia. We've got Pipkins, who sucks, and we've got Slater, who's been going through an ankle injury, injury in a backup center, and it's – I agree 100%. And Lindsley might not be that kind of FU player, but if he gets that out of everybody else because he's such a good leader and holds them accountable, mm-hmm. then we don't need the psycho. Like, I don't know if Lindsley's the psycho, but 
he makes everybody around him so much better that, yeah, I mean, that's why for the longest, for the last couple of years, I've, my honest opinion about our roster has been that Lindsley's the second most important player on the team. It feels like almost everybody else has somebody that can backfill for them. I don't think Will Clapp backfills for Lindsley. I think he placeholds. Um, and it's, it's a huge, huge disappointment and loss to not have him out there. But uh, that is what it is. I wish we would see more Darius Davis uh, implemented somehow. Uh, we are, random fact, we're 2-0 and in games where Darius Davis gets three or more carries. There it is. Very small sample size, but there it I is. Like There's it. the key to victory. You're going to get in trouble from Tao. That is a correlation, <laughs> but let's see more of it. Let's see more of it. And let, let's see less of the shotgun runs. Have you have you noticed we run from the gun a lot? I dare say a lot. much of that had to do with the finger injury, but it really limits you if you're just going to run from the gun. The types of runs, your ability to use a proper mirrored play action when you're under center with the kind of stretch outside play action boots. I feel like you've got a more diverse playbook if you can get some more of those under center runs. It's something I'll be looking for moving forward. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, the run blocking like as a whole, you look at, I looked specifically at the average depth of tackle from some of the the Green Bay defenders. Uh, so guys who registered multiple stops, Van Ness, two average depth of tackle, two yards. Uh, Owen, uh, sorry, Key Walker, Quay Walker rather, two stops, four, not bad for a linebacker. And Devondre Campbell, two stops, minus 0.5 yards, average depth of tackle. So you, there, there's guys and, you know, a lot of the other line defenders were low numbers, one or two yards for one run stop. But we're just getting beaten so bad, so, so bad that as we're running the ball from the gun, starting five yards behind the line of scrimmage, we shoot ourselves in the foot with the run game uh, and don't give ourselves a chance. Um, and, yeah, look, Zion Johnson, pretty shocking. I thought Jamari Salyer actually got off pretty lightly with the PFF grade because I saw him beaten multiple times. Trey Pippen. Kenny Clark had his way with um, either of the guards. Yeah. Zion's yeah. really having a bad so for more. Yeah, I feel like we haven't heard a lot from him. Not a lot of press conference action. He's playing at a below average league level. He's a first round pick. We needed him to be good this year. We we just needed that and it, it just hasn't worked out. And I don't have an explanation other than we kept the same offensive shift. line coach from a good pickup. Positional, positional shift. Left, so maybe there's that. Could have and something to do with it. we back to, you know, maybe no Corey Lindsley there. Like, is Zion looking over his shoulder at Will Clapp and going, oh, we're, we're stuffed. Um, there's multiple reasons, but uh, it's it's not been a, a good return from Zion, that's for sure. And QJ, Andy, let's have a chat. <laughs> let's let's, let's have a chat. He, so he was targeted six times for two catches. And I want to make this point. He was charted as having his first drop of the year, according to PFF. Their <laughs> drop stat is not accurate. Or it's not telling the right story. Because he had three what I would call drops against the Packers. Maybe a couple of those there was close to body contact, the ones that you would expect the receiver to catch because the ball's thrown on his side and he has an opportunity to catch it and he's just not doing it. What are you putting it down to, Andy? Technique or confidence, uh, anything? What do you reckon? When I look, there are huge technique flaws. He is 
for a guy his size, he's seemingly unable to box out defenders. Uh, he struggles to try to get two hands at the ball. He can't, you know, abide within the rules of offensive pass interference by at least, like I said, sort of boxing out the defender and then moving his hands quickly to to make the catch. Rather, he'll hang on to like an elbow fend off and then just throw one hand at it. Uh, <laughs> I've like wigged myself out about the the drop at the end of the game because I just I don't understand that that's maybe that's a confidence thing it boils down to a confidence thing because he's had a couple of missed contested catches earlier in the game and then the moment is right there and that, that's uh, a game that's a season that's everyone's jobs Herbert's made yeah. the ideal play he's climbed the pocket moved and to his left and then thrown to his well. right that's that's a house call separation. that is saving the jobs of everyone if he catches that well okay at least for another week but that that's season defining kyle and andy i i would say he got separation but it was almost seemingly because the cornerback just kind of gave up i didn't really see him make a great move and no, somebody i forget who right. it was and i wish i could give you credit for calling this out and i i apologize Hopefully you're watching TDU and can comment below and say, that was me, man. But somebody had pointed out how on um, that play, Herbert had rolled out to the left. And it seemed like Herbert was just out of range of that side of the field. You're not supposed to throw across the field, boys. That's not supposed to be the throw to make. Um, And even QJ slowed up and halted his route for a little bit and then had to speed back up. And the quarterback did the same thing. And if that was just QJ's incredible deception in his route to take half the second off and then go, go get going again. Good for him. It just didn't seem that way. So I, I, there are plays where he is getting separation there, but um, there's also a lot of room for concern with, with his general route running somebody else. Another video I watched um, was mentioning that he has very low numbers for beating man. One of the worst, guys at beating man coverage this year and i don't know if it's confidence to me it just looks like a guy that plays kind of weak he's like the week before against the lines the fact that he dropped the pass that hit him right in the hands i don't and you're saying oh you know what al there were three drops or there were not three there were a couple drops last week that were um not counted by pff because they were um pass interference calls even though Mm. They hit the ball, hit him in the hands, and they absolutely, it should have been a catch. And one of them should have been a touchdown. Uh, so it's, I don't, it looks like focus drops to me. It looks like a guy that, like Andy was saying, uh, doesn't know how to box somebody out that gets out muscled against the good. That's supposed to be his strength. And he just got annihilated by the veteran. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really discouraging to see. Yeah, yeah, you can you can say that again because we need him. We needed that that moment in the game. We need him to step up, um, and we we sang his praises last week after a touchdown and a few other receptions. But man, that's the one just burnt on every fan's brain, isn't it? That dropped catch uh, it was kind of nice to see Marquez Valdez Scantling the the next night drop one and, and cost <laughs> the Chiefs. <laughs> it was a little bit like hey. hey, hey. The meme with uh, Leo DiCaprio. Oh, there it is. There it is. That guy. Yeah. So, um, 
It's I still really say though, it's really get, like get yeah. get this guy get this guy more looks in the slot. We've mentioned it, Andy. Like I think to Carl's point, he played in the Big Twelve against not a lot of NFL caliber defensive backs. He has excellent yard after catch ability. He doesn't excel in those contested catch situations. So if he's going to struggle with that, I'd like to see him play more snaps in the slot, Kyle. He only played one snap from the slot. They used Erickson there and uh, they use they use Guyton there when he's healthy as well. So I don't know. I feel like Chargers fans are going to be really down on him. I'm hoping he's not a bust. He's showing the hallmarks of being that type of pick so far. It's it's very early in the year. I know you can compare to Mike Williams and he had similarly poor stats at the start, but you don't want them to be like that in the modern NFL when you look at all these guys who come in and contribute start away, straight away. So he's going to keep getting chances. As Herbert said today, I trust him. He's going to be an excellent player. It's time to start earning your crust, Quentin Johnston. Give him some Ken Wisenhunt, just drag routes, man. A little Absolutely. Williams action. Run mesh. Let's go. Gosh. Let's get meshy. <laughs> get meshy with uh, it. We got more to talk about on the offense, fellas. Kyle, I know you've got a little bit prepared for us. So if there's nothing else, uh, we will get right onto that. Uh, yeah, just something small. Is yours. Yeah. Andy, would you like to pull up the document? Think you have to be the one to activate it so guys i just wanted to share this with everybody we might need to take ourselves off the screen so our viewers can see it basically what i want what i wanted to break down is with the segment that uh you guys wanted to call this was kyle's kaleidoscope so here we are kind of zooming in on something we discovered this week and it's not the most encouraging thing it's kind of sad it's that um i think you know, and you guys know I've been covering um, the upcoming salary cap crisis that we're going to be in in a couple months in the in uh, 2024, um, and all the cuts that we're going to have to make to get cap compliant. And sadly, I think this week really cemented what our course of action is going to be with Joey Bosa's injury. It's not something I want to. I'm, I'm here to celebrate or enjoy. I hate talking about cutting a guy outright. I prefer trading them, <laughs> but at least then they feel like they add value to somebody else and they're going somewhere. It sucks getting cut. Um, but the reality of the situation is the chargers need to clear $53 million just to have a, you know, cap compliant roster by the new um, season, not necessarily the new league year, but for us to sign our draft picks, for us to have our in-season budget, for us to be able to sign our practice squad guys, all, all that jazz, uh, and then fill our roster as well. Uh, we need to clear $53 million. About, oh, I, I've, yeah. I've got a question just in terms of the rules of cutting, because, and yes. if you don't know, maybe you take it on notice, no, but do you can you talk a bit about whether Bose's status as being on IR, if he was on IR for the rest of the season, does that have any impact on your ability to cut a player? And the same with kind of Lindsley's status, just generally, do those things either being on IR or having a health condition, do they impact your ability to cut or indeed even trade a player on your roster? So with Lindsley, that's why I have it on here. I did not want to include him as a cut outright. I put him in as Lindsley retires. Um, because I, I, if there's a chance that he plays, I think the team keeps him. Um, but 
for Bosa, I I don't have like the full hundred percent like yes, like if a if the player gets injured, you can cut him with there with there being no with no repercussions taking place. But um what I can say is when you look at their contracts, certain contracts specifically call out um injury guarantees. And I don't see that in Joey Bosa's contract. So my assumption is definitely that if unless or that, you know, they could cut him and part ways with just having, you know, his restructure money that he was given this last year and his original signing bonus money as the dead cap on the contract. Uh, does that kind of answer your question now? It's it's not 100 percent in there, but it seems like with injury guarantees being a thing and him not having them on this deal, I think they have the wherewithal to do it. Yep. Good. And I'm sure others will uh, chime in in the comments, but yeah, yeah, I think if anyone that's can a good correct inference. me on that, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Is there it. something to do with just while we're on that? Is there something to do with reaching an, an injury settlement while the player is on IR? I know that's quite prevalent in the preseason when you sort of those fringe players get chucked on IR and then they get waived based on reaching an injury settlement. I don't know what that kind of impact would be for a guy like Joey Bosa or Corey Lindsley, but. It's a really good I point. Andy. I, I have no idea what maybe that has something to do with the fully. I mean, they're in season at that point and they're fully guaranteed if they've made it through the to the um to the regular season or to week one. If it's in training camp, it's a little different. But yeah, um yeah. that that could be something again that they might have injury guarantees in their contract, and that's something that they're trying to work around. Um, so I we'd have to look at like a specific example to, and then try to break it down, but I don't have a for sure answer for you on that. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's right. but we so, just hit you with the roadblock straight up. So please carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but what it looks like to me guys, and I don't, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this, but with Joey Bosa getting hurt, it just lines up that Joey and Mike just don't really have the value associated to them that their cap savings would provide. Um, Joey Bosa, if we were to release him in the offseason, would save for over $14 million in 2024. And we would take all of the salary cap penalties. That's including all the salary cap penalties from 24 and 25. So it would also free up $33 million in 2025. Uh, Mike Williams getting rid of, or letting Mike go is going to be $20 million in cap savings. Now where this gets kind of crazy is how drastic we need to get just to get to a place where we can buy a box of bubble gum or, or a carton of bubble gum uh, <laughs> for the rest of our roster by releasing. And you tell me if you can stomach doing this, but if by releasing Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, letting Lindsley retire, letting Sebastian Joseph Day go and letting Eric Kendricks go, we just sneak under the cap. And that is if we're projecting filling all of our vacancies with um, with undrafted free agent rookies playing on the minimum. I have a budget in there that should approximate what our rookie pool is going to be, and that's with our um, in-season budget accounted for. So this is picture making no free agent acquisitions getting rid of these guys, letting all of our um, UFAs go and restricted free agents go because they're not accounted for on this either. 
and completely re- rebuilding our roster with our seven draft picks and undrafted free agents. Anything else outside of that, we have to get more creative, either getting rid of Mac, which, you know, probably should be a trade because he has trade value right now. Um, Keenan Allen, there's ways we can work around uh, keeping Keenan while still freeing up space. Uh, we could try to restructure Corey, but we've already, that, that wouldn't take anything away because we've already accounted for that up here. I just provided two options for what we could do with him and possibly restructuring like Derwin James, that could free up, uh, 7.7 million, but these guys are pretty much a, this is pretty much a comprehensive list outside of doing max restructures for everybody mm. um that was also Austin we, Johnson Kyle was he is he out of contract at the end of the year he was a he was a two-year while Sebastian Joseph Day was a three-year that's correct um okay and so it, are there any players on here that you look at their savings and go that's somebody that we should part with that we need to make way, that we need to make room for or sorry, is it that that will make room for you know our roster filling um, that we can afford to lose? Is what I meant to say there. Al, what do you reckon? I th- uh, look, I think Bose's injuries kind of made that a little tricky because he looks like a player now who I, I might retire himself. To be completely honest, if his reaction to that injury was anything to go by, that's that was you know he's clearly just sick of his body and being in pain and different injuries for every game. Khalil Mack, on paper, looks like he would have been the better candidate to cut with with the extra savings, Kyle, because we'd already restructured Boza. Whereas now, like, unless you wanted to be really bold and just say, hey, look, we're gonna we're going to get rid of Boza and Mack. We're gonna we've got Thule, who's essentially shown to be a first round caliber edge rusher. And we're going to hit edge again early in the draft. And we're going to approach, we're going to clear a lot of cap by getting rid of two $20 million-ish plus edges. I think that's that's one way of approaching it. I can't see the team doing the same at wide receiver. Unfortunately, like if Quentin Johnson had come out and shown himself to be Justin Jefferson, sure. Because Josh Palmer, I think, is actually almost a capable wide receiver too. He's on that two, three fringe. So if if QJ had shown more than perhaps, but I think the way you've drawn it up, Kyle, is, is fairly accurate. The team is, I think Mike Williams has almost no chance of being a charger next year. That's mm-hmm. too, a too easy a way to clear 20 based on how Keenan's played and the fact that Mike is gone. So, so that's one. Bozer, I think, is another. Lindsley is probably another SJD is another because it's a, it's a kind of position where you hope Obonia comes in or you can draft another guy. And then Kendricks makes sense too, because you have um, Dayon Henley. And Nick Neiman played the, decent football too. So true. And the interesting thing guys, guys is uh, the first objective is clearing 30 million. And that's where SJD and Eric Kendricks come into play because I don't really know if they have that much trade value based on how the defense has been doing, how they've been individually performing and what their contracts are. Um, but so my my initial thought is if the team feels like they can move off SJD and Eric Kendricks right off the bat, and for those that are listening and not able to view, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day would save $7.5 million in uh, cap, and Eric Kendricks would save $6.5 million in cap. Um, 
combine that with Mike Williams and we're at least cap compliant by the time the new league year starts, which again, only- So then you could trade Boza, right, Kyle? If, if that's the exactly. case, you can start trading guys rather than having to cut them and getting nothing in exchange. Exactly. And that's where getting back to your point with Mac, if they want to go a direction where, hey, it's now Thule's room and we're going to backfill that edge position, because as we've seen with Kyle Van Noy, look how good he's doing with the Ravens. He's he's doing pretty darn good for a guy that's playing on, I believe, the vet men. You can backfill with some of these vets and go and double dip, which that's what I was saying last season. Go get Kyle Van Noy again. We got him on that. Um, UFA, t- we could could have had him on the UFA tender and could have drafted one or two edges. Um, would love to see if we did something like that this year, but I also really like the idea of retaining Mac um, because if we do transition to a new defense, he's somebody that works in any scheme and is a is such an intangible leader for a team. He is Stunt. somebody that if we can keep him, I would try to move heaven and earth to do so. But if we can't, you know, you clear out that first round of uh, cap to get cap compliant, and then you try to get a second and a third, like what Von Miller got, and that Von Miller got a second and a third for the Broncos for only half a season and a playoff run. Uh, for a full season, I would hope that Khalil Mack could get something at least that amount. Uh, there's also the well, option yeah, to production this year. You'd be hard to argue against, wouldn't it? Okay. It, not only that, Andy, but when the Bears traded him to us for a second and a sixth, it's because he was coming off of a season-ending injury. And there were yeah, even people right. saying that he's injury-prone now. But he has, he's been a, just a clean bill of health ever since. So, I mean, he's his body is healthier than Bosa's, is younger than Bosa's, oh, sure. is what I meant to say in my mind. Like, he's a young yeah. 32, whereas Bosa's an old 28. Uh, so... That's that's our challenge, guys. Uh, that's, you know, there's, again, other things we can do if we do a max extend on Keenan Allen. I know there's talks about extending him, but if we were to just do say, no, nah, well, we want to wait one more year since he is getting older and see if we want to extend him next year. A max, which would mean his whole base pay for next season and take basically subtracting the veteran minimum from that and turning the rest of that into a bonus spread over five years, which would save 17 and a half million on the cap. And then 4.3 million would be allocated in dead cap for each following year. And if for whatever reason, Keenan walked the next year, that would accelerate all into one year. So a total of like, you know, just about seven, actually the same number, 17 and a half million in dead cap the following season. But that's this what they're going to do. To me, that's what they're going to do. They're going to restructure and they're going to find $17.5 million through a max restructure of Keenan or something equivalent because he's been so damn good and he's so important to the team and it's a lever they can pull. It might not be the most prudent move ever. It might bite them in a couple of years, but as you've laid out excellently, it doesn't look like there are many better options. Yeah. I agree, but that's it. Don't don't need to dive too deep into the woods. I'll write an article about this soon, I'm sure. And uh, if anyone has any, if anyone ever wants to chat about this stuff, just holler at me at, at the Kyle D. Uh, I always love talking about cap, but that's it, boys. Oh, absolutely. Chargers fans out there, if you guys don't, check out Bolts from the Blue. Kyle does an awesome job. And so do the other writers there, just pumping out content for us all to consider because 
Let's not get too short-sighted. We know that finance is going to be uh, an evil witch come the end of the season and the landscape will be a whole lot different. Um, Lots of good commenters move. on Bolts from the Blue too. All of them who are listening except for Rocky Mountain Guy. <laughs> and TDU underscore Alistair. He's all right. All right, on to week 12. Uh, we're just coming out of the uh, Green Bay game. Obviously, we've spoken about Joey Bosa. He left the game early with a foot issue. A real emotional moment for the big bear. Uh, we've since learned it's uh, a foot sprain on the ankle, I believe, he injured recently. And look, I think a lot of that emotion pouring out is just flat-out frustration uh, with himself, with his body, with the team. He has been designated to IR. And look, who really knows whether he... Uh, will play again this season, first and foremost, and whether or not he'll suit up for the Chargers because that was a really good segue there, Kyle. Uh, because, um, look, whether he goes elsewhere, I'm I'm inclined to think that uh, Joey might retire sooner than we'd like. In a corresponding move, edge defender Andrew Farmer has been elevated to the active roster. And my guy, the fullback Xander Horvath, re-signed to the practice squad. Uh, Tanner Muse, special teams linebacker, to IR with a knee injury as well. Linebacker Blake Lynch signed to the active roster and edge defender Ty Shelby to the practice squad. So a little bit of just recycling there. Um, None of spectacular names, but we just need people to suit up and play because we're we're getting thinner than my hair and Staley's. He wears a hat a lot, but I reckon it's pretty damn thin. (laughs) I'd say yours is thin, but you don't have any else. You're gone. That's the way it goes. as we've spoken about the press conference, we don't need to beat that to death. Uh, it's an interesting uh, thing to watch is Brandon's psyche, I guess, as the season goes on. All right, so the the Ravens' last game against the Cincinnati Bengals with Lamar at quarterback, the Baltimore had entered this game 7-1 and one against the Bengals and 11-4 and four in primetime football. There was no left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, coming off that home loss as time expired to the foot of Dustin Hopkins. Baltimore got off to a, a pretty strong start, lost Mark Andrews on the opening touchdown drive. Then they sort of treaded water for a bit. They, they took a couple of series to work out uh, how they were going to uh, keep the wheels turning, and they did. Um, it was that, I think it was the, the touchdown pass from Burrow to Mixon that sort of set them off. They put the foot down, um, back-to-back touchdown drives, and took a 21-10 lead into halftime. Defense maintained a stronghold on fresh quarterback Jake Browning generating three sacks and allowing just one third down conversion via penalty over six attempts. OBJ looks like he's winding the clock back a bit. Lamar can clearly, well, he's healthy and he can clearly manage without uh, Mark Andrews. The defense is nasty. Ravens took the win 34 20 on to eight and three. Al, over to you. Run us through the myriad of strengths this Ravens team possess. Well, we hark back to the, the preseason kind of previews that we did when I went with the Edgar Lamar Poe, quoth the Raven poem. And he, I kind of questioned whether he would, he, would, um, he would warrant the contract that he received in light of his, you know, his play style and the fact that he's ended the last two seasons unavailable through injury. He's looking really good to me. At the moment, he's tied for third based on overall PFF grade at the quarterback position. So he's playing like a top five quarterback. The things I've noticed, I've, I went back and watched a few of his games. I think he's he's not as nimble or fast as the younger version of himself. I've I've noticed that, 
but he's still nifty enough to be one of the best scrambling threats of any NFL quarterback. He extends plays just enough to create those scramble drills like the, the Rashad Bateman touchdown against the Bengals. And he's still enough of a threat on zone read, especially with this Keaton Mitchell undrafted free agent running back, that he can be dangerous. And he kept, he, he'd had a keeper earlier in the Bengals. They'd overcommitted to the handoff and he took off for bulk yardage. So he's still very dangerous. I think that his most unique stat this year is he's got the second highest pressure grade of quarterbacks per PFF. And that's because most of the time he runs. So when he's under pressure, he has an 87.1 run grade under pressure. And he has 11 big time throws under pressure, which is number one in the NFL by a mile. The next highest is six. So if you blitz him or get pressure on him, he's either taking off or he's just chucking it deep to OBJ or Flowers or whoever else is there. And it's, it's a risky strategy, but he's doing it really, really well. He holds the ball forever. His time to throw is 3.09 seconds, which is 34th out of 38 eligible quarterbacks. So you get you get the picture. It's he has a look, he surveys the field. He'll if he doesn't like what he sees, he'll take off and run. And he's having a really good season. So it starts with Lamar. He's in that MVP type of discussion based on the year that he's had. Then their coaching is the other thing I see as their at their big strength. You've had the new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, come back to the NFL from Georgia, replacing Greg Roman, and the scheme has worked so far. They're really run heavy like they were under Roman. So they're second in the league in rush attempts, but they're second in the league in rush yards per attempt at 4.8. So they run a lot, and they're damn good at it, and they mix up their running game stylistically because... When they've got Gus the Bus, Gus Edwards in, they run a lot of gap scheme. And when they've got Keita Mitchell in, they run a lot more zone concepts. So it's a balanced running game. And then on the defensive side of the ball, if it ends up that Brandon Staley gets fired, which is looking highly likely at this point, every Chargers fan is going to say, as you do after a firing, let's go with an offensive guy now because you want the opposite of what you just had. And let's go with a guy who's got experience as an NFL head coach because that's what we didn't have. But if you wanted to in- interview any defensive coordinator in the NFL, Mike McDonald for the Ravens as a 36-year-old would be someone I would at least interview just to to get to know the guy and, and see a little bit about him. Because, for example, if the Chargers <laughs> hired Jim Harbour, he's a yeah. potential type who could jump ship. Because Mike, McD- Mike McDonald's story is he was with the Ravens for a few years, then he went to Michigan to be the defensive coordinator over there under Jim Harbaugh. And then he came back to John Harbaugh to be the DC for the Ravens. Last year, he took over and they finished third in points allowed and number one in the NFL. So number six in sacks. This year, third in points allowed, number one in sacks. So he's doing that whole Brandon Staley thing where he's the young guy whose defense is kicking ace, but he does it, does it in a different way. They, they play a lot of man coverage. So, so it's kind of that Raven style. They really like to play a lot more man than than other styles of defense. So anyway, I'll throw it open to the floor now. There are lots. I've got lots of other strengths. They've got heaps of strengths. Do you any anything you're worried about, Kyle, when you look at this Baltimore Ravens roster? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm worried about our roster and our team and our coaching, and I don't see. Uh, an advantage uh, us over them other than 
Herbert, but Herbert can only be uh, the the product of the the parts you know that that he is able to throw to that are blocking for him. Um, I'm it's could this be like the Derwin James game I was talking about, where all of a sudden the defense kind of clues in. Um, Derwin is playing closer to the line of scrimmage and is able to shut down uh, some of those runs that you were just describing and makes a couple like, do we get that, you know, Darius Davis special teams touchdown that just gets us over the edge? I don't, maybe, but I don't see our, I, when I, when I look at this here, the, the notes that I took um, are basically that there's one weakness I could see in their defense in what they do. And that's that they give a lot of passes. They give up a lot of passes to the flats. It's one of the only areas where they are behind the mean, where they're behind the average. And they also can be dictated in their personnel set. They're not like Brandon Staley, who has his own mission and his own way of doing things. If you line up in base, um, they are going to match up with their base defense about 80% of the time. And when they are in their nickel formation, they only blitz 18% of the time. When they're in their base, they're in their 32. So if we're worried about, if we can use that to our advantage somehow and say, okay, we're going to try to play a lot of base offense because base personnel, because we know if we do, they're going to match up with their base defense and then they're going to blitz. So we throw in some play actions. We kind of try to get them biting on that and just feed it over uh, the second level. Maybe there's an opportunity there. They also like to go base on first down and they blitz way more frequently on first down than they do second down. On second down, it drops down to about a, on first down, it's a blitz rate of about 24%. On second down, it's a blitz rate to of 12%. So, mm. There's little things that they do kind of show habitually, but I'm not in a place where I can really confidently say that we're, we can take advantage of any sort of mismatch with them. Other than what you said, Al, it's interesting that he hangs onto the ball so long. Maybe mm. that somehow benefits us uh, because it's the quick hitting quarterbacks that seem to be killing us. So look, if, if Eckler was in form, I'd feel like you can exploit their weaknesses because as you said, Carl, I think Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, their linebackers are not good coverage linebackers. Queen allowed seven out of seven completions last week for 76 yards. Roquan Smith allowed two of two, including a touchdown to Joe Mixon. So I think if we have a tight end and running back personnel to exploit those linebackers in coverage, We'd be looking pretty good. And then their run defense ranks 23rd in the NFL in yards per attempt. 4.3, they give up. So they're, they're ripe for the pickings against like a Bijan Robinson or this style of running back or team that can move the ball like Jameer Gibbs or any of those kind of players. But when you look at old quicksand or old slow Austin Eckler at the minute and whoever the hell you've got behind door number two, I don't know if Spiller's even still on the roster at the moment, but Josh no. Kelly is not getting a lot of goes. I mean, this would be a game for Spiller is what you're about to say, Kyle. Yeah. No, I'm going to say Darius Davis. Okay. Get creative. Get crafty. Right. Put him in the backfield. I, I, Kyle I, loves the double David. Ds. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I do. Hey, yeah. um, the, uh, get him to the... 
<laughs> my wife is pregnant right now. Things are great over here. Okay. It's awesome. Things are everything's growing. We're having fun. It's awesome. <laughs> She's like, she's like, I don't know where these are coming from. I'm like, I know, baby, but it's great. I hear, it's brother. awesome. I hear. You know? <laughs> um, oh, the, if the flats are open, if the linebackers are being mismatched, if all of this is going on, can we please add a speed threat gadget player in the backfield? I think he could be more of a wide receiver as well. But the important thing is the guy can he he produces when he's out there and when he gets the ball he creates a wrinkle that we don't have anywhere else when he has the ball in his hands they have to account for him so how are we not including him more i don't understand it i thought we were going to see that when we started only activating two running backs i was like oh they finally freaking figured it out we're going to be using him as our third running back and he's going to be way more involved and that just hasn't happened no just panic and shit the bed. Uh, there is one odd stat. There are opportunities. The 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 Ravens are tied in for the lead in the league uh, for the most receiver fumbles this season with the Jags and the Broncos. Um, that being said, only one more than the Chargers. But like you, Carl, I really struggled to sort of scrape any blood from the stone and try and work out. Sure, there are things that the um, the Ravens defense isn't aren't great uh, at, but. We don't really have the tight end stable and whatever we're doing with our running backs at the moment isn't working across the board. So they're two really big weaknesses and it's going to be a really hard, uh, fast playing physical secondary for Herbert to try and impregnate. impregnate. So, um, yep. (laughs) Penetrate. And uh, I just don't really see any other kind of... um, way that we get out of this unscathed. Do you think there are any any method to the madness, Alf, for how the Chargers can get this win? Oh, uh, look, on, on offense, they're going to have a real challenge. They're so good at rushing the passer. Uh, like, OA's really come on as a as a rusher, I think. Odafe now, right? He's Odafe Owe. He's having a good season. And they've got all those guys, Matabuike and, and other edge rushers. They're, they're a very solid front. Um, their corners... I don't know, Marlon Humphrey's back at training today, but he has been injured. So they've had caught in Ronald Darby and they've got Brandon Stevens, the other outside corner. They're not household names at this stage of Darby's career. So maybe they take some risks and attack those guys. Um, But on offense, I think it's going to be tough. I I think the Chargers would struggle to put up 20 or more points in this game. On defense, good luck. It starts and finishes with try to stop the run. Because they try it, you know, second most attempts and they've got all those options. It's got to start there. You've got to play eight in the box early. None of the soft fucking cushion stuff. Damn it. Almost got through a whole episode without swearing. You also know Kyle Van Noy is over there and he's there to share any of the coverage rules he can remember from last year and his intel. So how about break some tendencies in this game? If there's any time to do something that you wouldn't expect from an opposition, do it on Sunday Night Football when the entire world is watching Brandon Staley. Beware of the smoke screens to Zay Flowers. And I reckon Blitz Lamar. Yes, his pressure grade's high, but last week against the Bengals, the only time they struggled was when they blitzed him. So... I think that's got to be the recipe on defense. Get a bit aggressive, play man, blitz, hope for the best on offense. My prediction for this one before throwing to you, Carl, is 
look, if I know my charges, they come out and win this game because everyone, no one would expect it in a million years. So this is the game they come out and win and suck everyone in again, right? But I'm not going to predict it. When you look at a team like the Ravens who've been so consistent, I'm going to say Ravens 35, Chargers 21. It's it's a strong win to the Ravens. Chargers four to four and seven, and we're talking about real fire, Brandon Staley stuff. And it, maybe it happens. That's my prediction, Kyle. Uh, when I wrote the article this week about Brandon Staley signing his walking papers, uh, I went back and looked at, for historical reference, Anthony Lynn and his last season. And it's easy to forget that at one point we were three and six, and had and kicked the field goal with 16 men on a field. Uh, And he didn't get fired. So I do think Brandon Staley is going to survive the season, sadly. Um, I've shared my opinions with you guys about what I think, what I think they should do or should have done. But I do believe, I, I I do believe like you, Al, that this is going to be a pretty significant loss. I would say probably in the realm of 32 to 24 different kind kind of score, but I just, I don't think Herbert's going to slow down more so than like, I like we saw last week, he's playing at a very high level. I think we would have been much harder on the offense if the defense hadn't been doing this all year and hadn't been so terrible. We would come on this show and rip this offense apart because they play so, so below their ability, but, we almost want to give them a pass because we're used to, we know what they can do. They've played very well. They've been keeping the team afloat somewhat, but it's just been this defense. It's just been terrible game after game. Um, so I think Herbert comes back and has a decent game. I, that's, but they still can't do it. Staley has a very rough press conference. Everybody Twitter erupts with fire Staley. Um, everyone waits for it Monday morning and it doesn't happen. That's, my overall prediction 48 hours worth of prediction there <clears throat> yeah i'm i'm inclined to think just on the staley stuff that the, the team's not going to get rid of him it would be different just the way that sort of the spanos have uh kind of presented themselves in la signing marquee free agents you know willing to spend 270 million dollars on a new training facility they want to no, make a statement no. and they want the team andy to- no hang on one second I gotta oh, bite back on please, that. Please correct me. That's a lease. They they're not paying for that. That's a lease that's funded by Ace. It's like Mars Venture Capitalist or something like that, and a development company. So just right. a little bit of pushback because I see that get brought up all the time, and it's it's the same thing that they've done their entire career as owners. You took a knife it's, to a gunfight against a real estate agent, Andy. He was ready with right. the facts. It's, you're right. Well, it's just it's and and I and, Andy. Well. Everybody, everybody says that it's not like it's, it's just a fine print thing that it's a lease and it's just a, it's frustrating for me because it's the same kind of lease that they had with Costa Mesa that they had with Qualcomm. So if the facilities start turning to shit in 10 years, sorry, we're trying to go no no cussing. um, It's going to, we're going to be right back in the same boat where they're saying, well, we're leaseholders. We're not responsible for paying for this. And we're as fans going to be disappointed. That's what frustrates me with that. So sorry, Andy, I don't, didn't mean to cut you off there, but that's fair play. It's, it's a, I still don't think, I think they're still at heart cheapskates and they, so that actually sort of backs up my argument. If 
you know, they show yes. a bunch of this stuff, they'll pay for free agents, but at the end of the day, they will, and they, you know, they pay for Herbert and stuff, but they're just the, the transactions they've got to make. I don't think that they will willingly, I'd be surprised if they even fired him at the end of the year, because they just don't really seem to like suck into the noise, you know, Lynn and McCoy, just as bad. Maybe, okay, they had a, a playoff run each, but yeah, they're just not going to pay two guys to do one person's job at the end of the day. Um, I see the Ravens really running home with this one. I I think the Chargers will be better than they were last week in terms of their execution on offense. Um, but yeah, Ravens 38, Chargers 27. And it's going to be a real bash the defense on social media next week because... I just don't see them holding up their end of the bargain, especially if you're going to change shit stuff up. And oh, that was almost five dollars in the swear jar. Uh, you're going to change <laughs> stuff up and put um, Dean Leonard in for Mike Davis or Asante Samuel Jr. Like, there's going to be teething issues, and this is a really, really like fire-breathing dragon to be pulling that gear on. So, all right, enough of this. If you're still listening at this point, I've gone through an hour and a half without saying anything pro Staley. So here it comes. Last year, before I, last year before I went on my honeymoon, people were feeling the same about the Chargers. They were six and six and players were injured. That there was Everyone was on IR. You didn't have Bozer. You didn't have all sorts of defensive tackles. And the Chargers came out against Tua and obliterated the Miami Dolphins and then started winning a bunch of games. No one will care what Staley said in his press conference last week. If the team comes out on Sunday night football beats the Ravens, the fire Staley stuff will stop dead. He has the power. It's all in his grasp and in his control right now. No one will care. The Spani the will stick with him through the rest of the season. If you make tweaks to your personnel now and start to change things and Derwin James plays well in the slot and the team rallies and you get Lamar to do some of the things Lamar is apt to do, when it's under pressure, which is to choke in prime time, which he's done consistently, including this year, there is a route to a win on Sunday night. Yeah, but he also threw a pick three weeks ago and he fumbled in the red area and he can have bad games. He's had them against us in a playoff game under Anthony Lynn. Everyone will remember when Gus Bradley went with the, the kind of dime defense the entire time and seven defensive backs. So... Don't listen to us, Staley. Stay off social media, for goodness sake. Don't read that stuff. Coach the guys up. Give us a victory pod next Monday so we can have something to cheer about. Please, the big lord. A victory pod is much needed. Might even get Jack out of hibernation for that one. You know that that Dolphins win came from out of nowhere, too, where all of a sudden the defense looked like they knew what they were doing. They were disruptive in the receivers' routes. And it worked. Where is yeah. that? P protect the soft middle of the field, which we just simply don't do. Well, there you go. Um, anything further, guys? We've all chucked in our prediction predictions. 0-3 from us on the Chargers Ravens. Maybe some Chargers fans are wanting losses. Maybe they, they are really fighting for like a high draft pick rather than middling in the first round. And they really just want Coach Staley gone. Well, we'll see what happens. I think Al could be onto something with this just out of the blue sneaky win 
everyone just goes, God, it is just nauseating being a Chargers fan. So, look, it's in the script. Um, and that would stick with our win two, lose two, win two, lose two, etc. cetera. Um, well, Andy, what, happened happen. last, what happened last time with Anthony Lynn when he signed his walking papers? Mm. A four-game heater. We started three and we started three and nine, and then we ended. Uh, what was that? Seven math, seven and nine. So, who knows? Now yeah, that Staley's done it, into a into the draft, the draft pick mediocrity and no man's <laughs> land of taking that. All right, guys. Once again, from me and Alistair and Jack as well. Thanks so much, Kyle, for joining us. Please, guys, check him out on Bolts from the Blue. Writes a heck of an article. And if you're in the California area, he might even sell your house or find one for you to buy. Much appreciated your time. I reckon it's uh, well off to bed for you. Maybe chuck in another beer before you kick off. And Al and I will see you next week, hopefully for a victory pod. Take it easy, guys. We'll see you next time on the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. Bye. Firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, zigzag, 